Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I've got maximum don't-give-a-fuck mode engaged. Feel free to surf my bitch wave, Dan. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, your person-shaped friend. We're both composite entities for whom the boundaries of space, time, and flesh have meaning. Let's be besties! <laughs> Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of economic geography and rational process approaches. Today, we'll be talking about the city we became. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about Dan. What are we talking about? Uh, we are Heinlein. talking about Rogue One. Yep. Then we are doing uh, the Heinland uh, cannon fodder episode of The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. And then after that, I believe we're doing Gattaca. Yes, and we are always taking suggestions. If you are a subscriber to our newsletter, there is now going to be a permanent link to the spreadsheet where we take suggestions, Mm -hmm. which we haven't looked at in a while, but it exists. And it may make you feel like you're participating if you go and (laughs) look at that. And we we will follow on. (laughs) We actually do follow patron requests very often. It's just we need to remember to do that. Yes. Yes. Another way to get in touch with us is via Twitter, where Dan and I are both overly active. Mm -hmm. I am at Anna Marie Cox. He is at Dan Dresner. Also, you could become a patron. Dan, tell people how they can become a patron. There's this website on this thing called the World Wide Web. It is called HTTP colon slash slash, spa- you know, <laughs> patreon.com slash space the nation. All lower caps. That was your 1990s marketing for today. Yes. But do you remember when Bob Dole said his website? I do remember TV? Bob Dole saying his website. <laughs> yes, I, I entirely remember that. It was a great moment in, in, the latter, in the late 20th century. Anyway, if you go there, you can become a patron. And of course, there's lots of benefits to patronage, including access to the Discord and early access to podcasts. And there's the swag. Which is kind of just still coming, but... I like to mention it because eventually it will come. I just like saying it the will. name swag. I like I like the I word too. swag. It's a great word. I do too. Uh, Dan, we are talking about the city. Actually, you know what, Dan? First, mm-hmm. how are you? I am good. I am still dealing with the sort of detritus of COVID in the sense of mm-hmm. I am, I feel. M- do like- you want to lean back in your chair and put your, you know, the back of your hand to your forehead? Oh, yes. And- <laughs> <laughs> Anna, I do declare. <laughs> uh, Use your fainting couch. Exactly. I'm feeling a bit of a fainting spell coming up. No. In all seriousness, the I, like I feel fine, except I do have the cough. The cough mm-hmm. is persistent. It is not painful in any way, but it is annoying. And I'm not going to lie. I feel a little bit like Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge whenever I cough. <laughs> like I'm half expecting blood to pop up and be like, well, you're dead in three hours, Dan. You know, but like... Beyond that, it's fine. I'm actually doing okay. That's, that's better than Juliet Moore and Safe. There we or, go. Or uh, Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore Safe. Ah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how are you, Anna? Uh, I'm pretty good. Mm-hmm. I went climbing again, and Sorry. yeah, it was great. And I kind of challenged myself, and I was rewarded uh, by I did complete the problem they're called in bouldering, which I love. Mm. Roots are called problems, and I also got my first flapper. <laughs> of my re-engaged climbing career. Okay. And I, isn't that awesome? Yep, it's that is. totally awesome, and you're going to have to tell me what a flapper is because otherwise my well, imagination will work overdrive. Well, I will show you since oh, we are looking okay. at each other. Yes. This. That. Oh. Okay. The, uh, I ripped a callus. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, I'll flap a litter. Oh, ooh, ah, ugh. Okay. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes, listeners, you got to hear you got to hear me go through all of the realization of what a flapper was. That was good. That's that's quality uh, podcasting is all I'm going to say. But I earned it, and that's sort of what, that's great. How I'm, I'm 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 like you know what that means I'm actually like pushing myself and and doing some cool stuff. Excellent. So, Fantastic. Thank you. Dan, we are talking about mm-hmm. the city we became today. Why? Why would we talk about this? That's a good question, Anna. I believe it was your idea, but I'm going to propose some possibilities. First of all, we have not looked (laughs) at the city as living thing sci-fi genre. And I hear that the Peter Jackson film, which was sort of similar in Mm -hmm. terms of motivation, was real, real bad. So I don't want to talk about that. Or... We wanted to do the one N.K. Jemison novel that did not win a Hugo? I, I'm just not sure. <laughs> you tell me. Why did we do this? She has some previous novels, okay. uh, pr- novels previous to the Broken Earth trilogy that mm. did not win Hugos. But yes, she's... So she's not all she, that, in other words. No, no. Right. Going. She only yeah. won three in a row. Only won she's three only in the, a row. She's only the only person to ever mm-hmm. win three Hugos in a row and have all three volumes of a trilogy win a Hugo. Yes. She also has a MacArthur Genius Grant, which I only bring up because every year when the MacArthur, like, the foundation announces the Genius Grants. Do you look for your name, Dan? No. My wife (laughs) looks for my name and then gleefully informs me that I am not on. Yes. So I have a short story about that, about the Genius Grants, which is that I, I personally know a couple of people who've gotten them. Oh, okay. Which is not to brag, because actually what that means is that every time I don't get one, I'm like, fuck. Like, <laughs> that means it's because it because it makes it seem like it'd be possible for me to get one in some way. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like, it's like. I do. I do. It's not that I don't think that they d- don't. D- one of them is Tanahisi Coates, who like. Yeah, I think he more power yeah. to him. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. And I, I kind of get to have a I knew him win sort of. Right. Moment. But, you know, it just means like, oh, wow, that's not like something that only other people get. It's like a thing. Right. This is true. But both of us are still eligible. We're eligible. I mean, like it's there's yeah. no criteria. That's true. There's no age restriction either. You know? There's no age restriction. Yeah. There's no limit. There's no genre. Maybe the it, podcast will win a MacArthur. Anna. There you go. I think that's there the you way go. We, you know, along with the Peabody, obviously. Yes. <laughs> Our first bit Dan, mm-hmm. yes. and talking about our, our, our works this season, is the Chekhov's What's It? Yes. You have a Chekhov's What's It for the city we became. I think I do in that, you know, I normally, I have to admit, I think of Chekhov's What's It more to applying to TV and film because it's almost visual at times. But it's a play. I it, mean, yeah, it, it, that's correct. Yeah. But I think in the case of the novel, I'm a, I think the What's It is that painting. The painting, I assume, by the the primary, I think is what his his name is. We don't really know his name is. That we see hanging in the museum, which turns out to be how they find him. The painting is by the city. Right. If I understand correctly. Yes. Like, I, it, 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 there's uh, uh, there's just, some lack of clarity in this book, which we shall get to. Yes. We shall, yes, we shall we, get, we'll get to, to this, yes. whether or not the book is entirely yes. clear about things. But what about you, Anna? Chekhov's Lonely Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot wait to talk about Staten Island more with you. I never; those are words that I never <laughs> thought I would put in a sentence together in public. It, and yeah, uh, that's cannot it's, wait to talk about Staten Island. With you. I will say this: I, I think neither you nor I were were blown away by this novel, but it does generate some interesting questions. I guess would be the way to put it. It's not, you know, we. I, I, I live this way. I like this much more than Ministry for the Future. 
Oh, yes. I mean, yes. well, God, such a low bar. <laughs> like, it's real. We're going to really have to work to find something that we enjoy less. We might have to do Atlas Shrug just to see, but... Oh, but I kind of want to do Atlas Shrug now that you say it. Oh, man. (laughs) Oof. (laughs) All right, speaking of stories with interesting backstories. All right, Anna, what do you got? It's time for the story behind the story. Uh, As we both mentioned, uh, she is the first author to win the Hugo Award for Best Novel three consecutive times for all three novels in a trilogy. Mm -hmm also a Genius Grant winner. Mm -hmm. Uh, And The City We Became is based on two of her earlier short stories, and it was nominated for a Hugo and a Nebula, but it did not win. (laughs) Well done. Okay. Yeah. There is uh, rather obviously some Lovecraftian elements. (laughs) Elements. <laughs> well, yes, uh, Anna, I noticed my keen, my keen critical reading skills. Even I picked that one up. Yes, <laughs> which is totally legitimate if you're writing about New York City. Oh right? yeah, no, I actually, I, I that was one. Of the, I loved. I actually I, appreciate. Okay, good. We were touches. on the same page. Yeah. yeah, no, I like that too. I actually, I like the, the sort of inverted Lovecraft would be the way I would put it. It was the appropriate yeah. deployment of Lovecraft. But yes. Yeah, and there's a there's a whole like reappropriation of Lovecraft that's been yeah. happening right mm-hmm. now in science fiction. And we have done Lovecraft. We haven't done his super racist, obviously racist <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but if anyone wants to read, I believe it's called The Thing Out of Red Hook. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. yeah. If you want to really just marinate <laughs> in some super racist science fiction, that would be the place to go. <laughs> Fair enough. And I I love that in, uh, this is a a quote from the New York Times Review. So in uh, Jemison's version of the Lovecraftian lore, the Cthulhu is a tentacled thing that takes the form of a cop with too many eyes, arms, and legs. This is not a subtle (laughs) book, Dan. No. No, it's not subtle. No, no, it's not subtle at all. Nope. Yeah, no, no. Uh, just a, a couple more things. She is the first cousin once removed to W. Kamau Bell, which I think is kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah, damn. I'm, b- I'm a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has this great quote in a profile and vulture. I just want to write about things blowing up, gods and planets and moons crashing into things. But what I write ends up being political. If I write about dragons, I'm writing about dragons as a black woman, and it's fucking political. Good point. That's a good line. Say. That is a very good line. Good point. Yep. Good point. Yep. So, Dan, enough about the story behind the story. Let's talk about the plot. All right. Let's get to Act One. Welcome to New York. So, in the universe of the city we became, great cities achieve sentience through human avatars. New York is on the cusp of being born, and the Big Apple's avatar is a homeless, queer, black kid. A man named Sao Paulo is advising him on becoming the city's avatar. The kid kind of sort of understands what's going on, but not really, and kind of imbibes Sao Paulo's lessons, but then falls into a coma when encountering a nameless, shapeless, super white enemy who does not want to see New York come alive. I cannot stress the super white part enough in terms of this story. (laughs) She's not called Karen. No. I I did write Karen in the margins multiple times in this. I almost thought, like, she's going to just name the enemy Karen. Yes, yes. But no. Yeah. There's a couple of Karen. There are many, many. There are Karen many Karens moments. moments. Yes, and there is literally a "get off my lawn" quote. So you know, yeah, yeah. But the right. kid who we'll call the primary because the kid is never given an actual name uh, defends the city, but falls into a coma. As the primary sleeps, the five boroughs also achieve sentience and find their avatars. We first meet Manhattan, aka Manny, who develops amnesia in the process. 
New to New York and helped along by the kindness of locals, he feels compelled to go to FDR Drive and fight an eldritch white tendril thing. He succeeds in battle and then heads to Inwood, where he learns that he, in his past life, he was about to become an arrogant political theory PhD student at Columbia. He is informed huh. by his trans roommate, Bell, who is also going to become an arrogant political theory PhD student at Columbia. <laughs> is there another kind of uh, political theory PhD student, Dan? You know what? I'm gonna I, here. I'm gonna say I have actually known many. I have I have known many political theory PhD students. Uh, you know, Anna. Many political theory PhD students are friends of mine, but I don't know about Columbia. That's the interesting question. <laughs> All right. Anyway, compelled to explore in Wood Park, he meets the woman in white, a creature determined to prevent New York from being born. Anna, I have two thoughts about the book's sort of first 50, 60 pages. First, I did really like the counterintuitive move of Manny actually being helped by the kindness of New Yorkers, which is not something that you would ordinarily associate with New York, but I actually thought Jemison did that extremely well. Second, though, structurally, it seemed odd to introduce the primary as a character in the first 20 pages and then have him sleep for 400 pages until the very end of the book. Well... I didn't mind that okay. in particular. I feel like that's sort of like a prologue yeah, thing. Like they're, it's introducing the Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the story is really about rescuing the Sleeping Beauty. Oh, that's interesting. Um, well, okay, that, I see your point there. Okay, keep going. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff I liked about this section. I also mm-hmm. liked the kindness of uh, strangers in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will talk about New York more probably because yes. it's inevitable. But I've lived there. I've lived there for... A number of years. And for the and, record, I have not lived there, although my father was born in Queens. So I, you know, I do, I, okay. I, I, I do feel that connection. But keep going. Uh, there's a lot I liked about this section. The magical cab. Mm-hmm. The checker the cab checker is cab. actually yes, that is was good. really lovely. Uh, Driven also, by Madison, who's a charming character, actually. Right. <laughs> and also Manny is embodying Manhattan. Mm-hmm. There are some, with all of the boroughs, there right. are some like cool kind of, uh, tropes name checks or yeah. tropes yeah. and he's a capitalist mm-hmm. obviously and he he uses money as one of his talismans and i kind of loved that right i also really liked the roommate mm-hmm. who Bell, i was hoping yes. would become a, a sidekick no that was weird um, bell makes a, a vivid appearance fully introduced full character full character introduction and then i think after page 70 that's it we never hear from bell again nope yeah. nope 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 yes. and uh it did remind me of the days when i had to look for roommates in new york and sort of the <laughs> political process that that is uh-huh. <laughs> What I did not like about it, and I had this problem with her Broken Earth trilogy as well, mm-hmm. which is she does a thing that can, that's risky, mm-hmm. which is to just set you down in the middle of a world, just like you are just there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There is very little signposting in the first, in the first third of this book. And this might be sort of a, a weakness on my part, because mm-hmm. that's, it's something that happens in sci-fi genre, but usually there's a little more helping along yeah like in most genre mm-hmm. like that's one of the things that sort of define genre fiction in general right. is that you are given some familiar markers mm-hmm. to orient yourself yeah and this didn't do that for no me. no it really didn't like i was confused for mm-hmm. a bit yep and also the one problem with introducing your sleeping beauty is while i understood why i should care about him like it's hard to care. Well, that was, no, that was my point with the structure, <laughs> yeah. which is yeah. if, if we had gotten to know him a little more, then maybe suddenly I get more invested. But it was I kept waiting for him to recur because obviously he was important, but I knew he was important to the plot. As a character, I mean, it's a sketched out 
Yeah, it, I was going to, he's only vaguely sketched right. out. We get like sort of a, a little bit of history about him, yeah. which is interesting. I kind of understand who he is. Right, there could have been more promise in that character. I mean, it's an interesting, yeah. it has the potential to be an interesting character, but I think it was potential rather than, than actuality, I guess would be the way to put yeah. it. Yeah. And I'll just repeat, it's not subtle that the enemy is a white woman. <laughs> like, it's just... It's, so many white women in this I don't book. mind it. I, I don't mind it. As a white woman, like, you're okay with this. Okay, good. As a white woman, I'm okay with it because, you know, we can be some, some messy bitches. Yeah, yeah. Although I also, in saying that, by the way, I'm reminded of the Bronca. <laughs> yes. Who gets, gets on everybody's case when they call anyone a bitch, which... Is something that I actually, I don't try to get on people's cases, but I do try to watch my own language for mm-hmm. using feminine words as epithets. Although Bron- even Bronca, like, you know, speaks to Yijing. Lapses. Because yeah. she she calls Yijing a Becky at one point, which is, yes. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, ethnically inappropriate. But yes. Well, Becky with the good hair probably can be any ethnicity. It's just, you know, the other lady. Yes. Um, which is, so. yeah. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of a confusing lapse, okay. but I understand she has a temper. And I will say, we I want to talk more about the individual burrows yes. later. But Bronca is my favorite. Fair probably. enough. Fair enough. She seems the most. How do I want for this? She's the most vibrant. There we go. Like she's the most lively. Well, I have a theory about this, which we will get to in a second. But okay. let me let me start with All Act right. Two, which is New York is more than Manhattan. Anna, in case you didn't know, while at Inwood Park, Manny meets another avatar, Brooklyn Thomason, a councilwoman who, in a past life, was MC Free, an early female rapper. They both notice white tendrils growing out of the back of some New Yorkers' heads. They realize this isn't a good thing and decide they need to find <laughs> the other borough avatars. They're gonna have a hard time with Staten Island, however, as Island. Get it? Get, Get it, it on it, Dan? Island. Get uh, it? Island. Island. It's spelled like Irish, I know. but it's pronounced Island. Island Houlihan, the Irish-American daughter of a super racist cop and someone who, growing up, has been taught that the city is bad, bad, bad. Naturally, the woman in white befriends Island before the other avatars can find her. The avatar of the Bronx is a lesbian Lenape woman in her 60s named Bronca Siwanoi. She works at the Bronx Art Center. As she becomes the Bronx, she also inherits the most knowledge about the entire process of a city being born. And right away, she has an encounter with the woman in white and her minions, the alt-artistes, who wish to display some intellectual dark web-inspired <laughs> art in the museum. <laughs> that, I mean, that's the best way to describe it. Would you, is that a fair statement? There's no Pepe the Frog actually in the art. But there might but as well yeah, be. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's like meme-generated, you know, super racist art. Yes. <laughs> Finally, there is Padmini Prakash, a Tamil immigrant getting a master's in financial engineering, which I actually assume is just a master's in finance, and who is into Lovecraft meta on the side. The math part is her superpower, however, is she is able to use equations in her head to accomplish real-world actions. She fends off an attack in her neighbor's pool, and then Manny and Brooklyn find her. Anna, you've lived in New York, and I have not. Did you find the avatars sufficiently representative of the boroughs? I did, Dan. Mm-hmm. I did. I did think that a gentrifying white person should have maybe been in there, you know, <laughs> like that's such a part of New York and she's commenting so much on it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I guess Island is that, but, but it's not, she's not. I disagree. Island is, right. is that- no, I mean, I mean that she's not gentrifying. She's actually in some ways, again, maybe we'll talk about this more later, but I, I did find Island to be sympathetic. Yeah. I think and a product of her environment, right. which is very working class. And that's kind of part of how she becomes the person that she is. Mm-hmm. I do think like that it would have been kind of funny almost to have one of the, 
one of the avatars be a gentrifying white person who's like, I don't know, maybe this is a good idea. Like, <laughs> like somehow, to somehow, like, kind of be like, ah, hey, maybe, you know, we should do this. Like, it, it would, hmm. you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I can imagine a version of this story that could incorporate whiteness as a commenting character I will and say- not just as a evil yeah like it it would i mean let me put this way that person would have had to have been brooklyn was my was was and i think that's the the problem which is i agree with you though i think or maybe manhattan you know manny could have been although i like all the avatars like i don't know who i would replace like that's the problem right the one i have to say the one avatar i i mean queens was a was pretty underwritten i actually thought yeah. I would have liked to have known more about Queens. I, I liked having an immigrant. Yes. Like, like, that needed to be there. That was absolutely um, great. I had no problem with that. I yeah. also liked her math shit. That was true. Like, no, there were, uh, in some ways, I think maybe it's that I like Padmini enough so that I wanted more Padmini. Like, yeah. the novel is written from a lot of Manny's perspective, a lot of Brooklyn's perspective, yeah. a lot of Bronca's perspective, and a lot of Island's perspective. I think Padmini got the short end of the stick is what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Another thing that I thought about mm-hmm. was that the five boroughs are almost not enough mm-hmm. uh, to to really encompass New York. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. Where's Where's Wall Street? Mm-hmm. You know, where's the theater district? Yeah, like there's no theater. I mean, that's like there's no Broadway. There's no Broadway. <laughs> there's star. no Broadway. They're, like that's kind of a big part of New York. Yes. You know, like <laughs> also. This is I, I I have to admit that this is my own sort of I guess uh, critique. How to put this gently? Everything, everywhere, all at once had more Yiddishkeit than this novel, and I think that is a problem. Okay, that is a yeah, problem. It, there are I, no Jews I, in this novel, and that is a big part of New York. I'm sorry. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Like there are parts of New York that feel pretty important mm-hmm. uh, that aren't represented, yeah. and in some ways, it's interesting to just take the boroughs as you know the map, right? And, and, but, because, and, and, because lines on a map are actually pretty arbitrary. Yes. Right? Well, that's in some ways one of her points, actually, I think. Yeah. You know, in, yeah. which we find out in the end. Again, this is a, maybe this is nitpicking, because again, part of the problem is how the hell do you encapsulate New York in a single right. novel? Right. That's tough. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. I, I agree. To- I mean, I totally agree. It's just once she introduces this idea of various characters representing New York, mm-hmm. I think it's hard as a reader to not right. think about. What other, you know, I mean, queerness is represented, but yeah. like, wouldn't I love a Broadway <laughs> like <laughs> person who's gay and like a, I, I don't know, like, because gay people flock to New York for, you know, it's, it's, a, it's one of the places that you go when you're different. If there was a, for one, a long time, it was right. If there's one bias in the five boroughs, they're overeducated. Mm, interesting. Because think about it. Yeah. Manhattan's pursuing a PhD. Brooklyn has a law degree. Bronx has a PhD. Padmini is pursuing a master's. I think Island is the only, like, you know, and I think she went to college. Mm, she's, or I think, going to Staten community Island. college. Yeah, or going to community college. Like, going to community college, yeah. yeah. I did appreciate the Lenape yeah. character. Mm-hmm. I think people tend to forget the indigenous people of the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a lot of Americans, I, I think, think about the Plains and the West when we think about indigenous people. Yeah. And that makes me want to recommend uh, Rutherford Falls, which is a sitcom on the Peacock Network. And it was co-created by Ed Helms and Sierra Teller Ornelas. Mm. And it has an almost all indigenous writer's room, which I Interesting. think is kind of cool. Mm. Um, there's a lot been written about it. I interviewed one of the stars. Seek it out. Okay. There you go. There you go. All right, let's move to Act 3, Arts Administration Crisis. 
I have to admit, even saying arts administration crisis makes me think of the Garrison Keillor <laughs> stick, where it was like he wrote the like the it was like a uh, he wrote Raymond Chandler style short uh, stories, but from the view of an arts administrator. Okay, so. Brooklyn, Queen Padmini and Manny head back to Brooklyn's Brownstone, where the White Tendrils attack and Brooklyn wraps her way into victory. Meanwhile, in the Bronx, Bronca faces an arts administration crisis. The alt-artistes are whipping up a social media firestorm, and the Better New York Foundation offers to buy its way into installing some crap alt-artiste pieces and taking down other art that the woman in white, now Dr. White, dislikes. The board wants to take the large check, but Bronca and her colleagues, especially Veniza from Jersey City, rally the arts community and stop that shit from happening. Manny, Brooklyn, and Queens finally connect with Bronca, and that meeting goes about as well as you would expect if you trapped four New Yorkers from different boroughs <laughs> together in an art administration's office. They do eventually realize, however, first, when a city is born, it, quote, punches through other dimensions and causes other beings to die, hence the effort to kill the city before it's born, which has happened in the past in places like Atlantis or Pompeii or Port-au-Prince. Second, that does not mean that they give up, because if they do give up, then all of Earth is wiped off. Heck, the entire Earth universe is wiped off, and we all cease to exist. So, a man named Hong Kong arrives, carrying a comatose <laughs> Sao Paulo, Hong explains that the most recent city avatar that is born helps mentor the next city, city avatar to come into being, as Hong did with Sao Paulo and Paulo was trying to do with New York City. Paulo is injured after trying to reach out to Island, and Island deciding that she's had enough of this bullshit and throws her lot in with the woman in white. Veniza resuscitates Sao Paulo with Brazilian ice cream, and they all hatch a plan to save the city. Man that is a nice scene. That is a lovely scene, yes. I, I have to say, that was a nice touch where, like, the idea that Sao Paulo, because he's out of his city, lacks his usual powers. Cityness. The, his powers, yeah. The, what makes him Sao Paulo. Right, exactly. Uh, I also like Hong Kong breathes cigarette smoke on him. Yes, but it was Brazil. It, the point was it was Sao Paulo yeah. cigarette smoke. Because, um, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, that's true. So, the plan is, is that Manny and Sao Paulo will go look for the primary in the abandoned City Hall subway station in Manhattan, which Manny can visualize, while the rest will try to persuade Island to join them in that subway station to revive the primary. They send Veniza's ass back to New Jersey City. Anna, I like the second half of the book more than the first, mm -hmm. in part because the narrative really starts to build some momentum, but I also really like the arts administration crisis. I don't know why. Yeah. It might have been that that was the sort of thing that, like, I got the best, I guess. <laughs> that said, I did kind of lose my willing suspension of disbelief at the notion that New York is developing sentience, A, after Sao Paulo, and also, we learn later, after Port-au-Prince and New Orleans, potentially. What say you on this? Well... Dan, I had to look it up, but Sao Paulo was founded 100 years before New York. Well, yeah, but New York we became much larger than Sao Paulo for a time, although I do know, I think you're going to tell me that Sao Paulo is now yeah. larger. Yes. I am going to tell you because we have a script that we share. There we go. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yep. Totally fair. But I think you will agree mm -hmm. that it is improbable that other cities as large as New York would not have neighborhoods and boroughs yeah, that represent right. them. Right. Also, Mexico City. Sao Paulo is almost exactly the same size mm -hmm. as... And also, you're right. Wow, Mexico City should have been born like a hundred years earlier. Right, exactly. This, that is a great point. This is part of the problem. Because Mexico City has been around since like the conquest. Yeah. Right? And like, this is the thing. Like, I oh, Before that, it was an Aztec city. I mean, like... Tenochtitlan, I think. I'm yeah. sure I'm mastering that name. But like, I mean, they do mention that city is being killed, which is maybe why Mexico oh. City doesn't emerge. But... I, I think this is something where Jemison, I think, plays fast and loose a little bit, which is it was never clear to me 
what had to be achieved in order for a city to achieve sentience. Yeah, there's some references to it becoming like vibrant enough, I guess, would be the... Right, but if that's the case, i perfectly fine that I can see Sao Paulo being sentient. You're telling me New York, oh God, it... you know, is not going to be sentient, though? That's well, the part the other thing is they mentioned that London is relatively recent, and man, I mean, London goes back to before Common Era. Yeah, like, I mean, it was a Roman city, Londonium, I believe. Yeah, right. so London should be in existence for... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very long time right uh yeah there's there's i mean i think the thing about this book that explains the holes and some of its weaknesses and i i do not mean this as a as a big criticism it's more just i think i i get it which is that you know jimison wrote this as a love letter to new york this is like what she was what she really wanted to do was write about new york yeah right and she kind of invents a universe Mm -hmm. that allows her to do that Mm -hmm. And in, in sort of ironically, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of centers the New York experience in a way that is provincial, I guess would be the right word. I think it, it, it does a thing that sometimes people of the northern hemisphere mm-hmm. are accused of doing, right? Like it, it sort of centers the ex- this very specific experience in a way that raises questions. I guess I. I that's true. I think the pro- I think the issue. Uh, I don't think it's wrong to center that experience. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I I just think that in doing that, to be responsible in doing that, I think you have to put a little more thought into like what's happening in the rest of the world. I think that's my issue. My issue is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Go ahead and write about New York, but like try to keep it consistent. The problem is the rest of the don't world. Don't break building. the rules just for New York. Right. But the, this is it, the thing. The problem was the rest of the world building. In other words, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, you know, you talk, there's, there's occasionally vague references to a council that there are other cities that are already sentient. I think, but but it's very just sort of briefly sketched out. I think she could have put more thought into that. And I think it actually would have made it a better novel. In this or se- just ignore it. Yeah, like, one of the two. But like, in the end, I, she sort of goes halfway in there. I think what would have been an interesting shortcut to take mm-hmm. would just be to have New York and maybe some of the other cities be ignorant of what's happening in the rest of the world. Right. You know? Which would be very like, New York-like. I mean, you know. be very New York. It'd be very, be very yes. North American, right? Yes. Like, uh, and, and to just have them be like, wow, I mean, I guess we're the only people that has ever happened to. I'm sorry. Right? I just had a very funny idea, which is that the other version of this could have been that Boston decides it wants to destroy New York, that Boston allies with the, uh, the, actually, the white Actually, now that I think about it, shouldn't Boston become sentient first? No. It's a much smaller no. city. Boston is an older it's city than New York, city. but it's a smaller yeah. city. That's. I mean, I think that's, again, this goes back to part of the question of what is it exactly that makes a city sentient? Is it size? Is it diversity? What is it? And again... Like, there's a passage where, where she sort of references this, but again, it's, like, not really sketched out. And I, I, the persnickety part of me wanted to know a little more about that. Yeah. Like I said, if you sort of just grant her she the, she wanted to write about New York. Yeah. Which, then... And that's fine. Like, that, God knows you can do that. You know, yes. Yeah. But the other thing I'll say is that she's usually really good at world building. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is, but also this... This might be her first novel. As far as I know, this is her first novel that takes place in our universe. Oh, I see. Okay. Explicitly in our universe. Right. I mean, you can argue other universes also in our universe, but they take a separate tack or whatever. Yeah. And also what's in- another interesting thing is that she actually gives talks about world building hmm. um, at science fiction conferences and whatnot. Huh. So it is interesting. Okay. 
Well, it just said it's interesting. I also want to join you in saying this is the best section of the book, and I did laugh <laughs> at the arts administrative crisis and at the alt artistes. Yes. Not subtle. No, no, but well done. Not subtle. Well done. Well and, done. And, and let me put this way. That was a part where, as you say, if this was the first novel that Jemison wrote, which is grounded in our universe, it was clear to me that was a part of the universe she knew really damn well, because um, that yeah. felt very true to life. And like I said, I, I, Bronca and her journey is in some ways the most interesting one to me. Mm-hmm. Like, even though she kind of has the shortest journey in, in the sense that she gets all the knowledge. Mm-hmm. But she's also the one that has to make a decision. She, she is the one that has the biggest problem with deciding to accept being an avatar. Yes. Yes, I think that's fair. That's a good point. And that makes her more interesting mm-hmm. to me, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. She's, she's just more fully, she just feels fully realized in a way that not all of the characters do. Well, again, I think, a lo- I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, she probably occupies more pages than everyone else. I mean, like there's... Yeah, and we get more internal dialogue we get more, from yeah, her. We exactly. get, we get more of her life. Right. Kind of. Um, which is interesting. And I also, I, by the way, one of the things I also like was how she and Brooklyn just rub each other the wrong way constantly. Yes. That was yes. quite, that, yes. that was quite good. That felt very authentically New York. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's close with Act 4, The Battle of New York. Manny and Sao Paulo find the primary, but can't do much without all the other boroughs. The whites attack them, but Manny turns into King Kong and pulverizes them. The other boroughs fight their way to Staten Island to try to persuade Island to join them. But the woman in white, hey, call her Rulea, which I believe is a Lovecraftian homage. Yes, Yes. okay. Rulea has kidnapped Veniza. And Lynn literally tells them to get off her lawn. Like, that (laughs) sentence is in the book. Using her magic xenophobic powers, to quote another character, she wills them all off the island. Uh, Veniza and the other boroughs disapparate and reappear on Wall Street. It looks bad for New York, but the other boroughs and Veniza make their way to City Hall Station and reconnect with Manny and Sao Paulo and the primary. They see that Rilea has been busy trying to create a city that will engulf the human universe. Without Staten Island, it looks like they can't do much. But wait, the universe decides that Jersey City... And by the way, I think it's the universe because I don't know how else this happens, to be clear. The universe decides that Jersey City is now part of New York. So they are able to... I I laughed at that yes. and thought it was fine, right. by the way. That's good. Like, I was like, sure. <laughs> the point being that because Veniza is from Jersey City, Veniza now is an avatar. And so they are able to wake up the primary and defeat Rilea. The novel ends with New York fully alive, except for Staten Island, which literally has a permanent shadow cast over it. So, Anna, a few things. First, at what point do archetypes become somewhat offensive caricatures? Because I got to admit, I I do agree that I think Jemison gave Island depth. Like, you know, she she tried to sketch out that character a fair amount. At the same time, it did feel awfully goddamn stereotypical. Yeah. And second, I wasn't thrilled that you know, we're talking about world building. I was not impressed with Jemison's world building. Jemison, in the middle of this, floats the notion that the burrows would all have to be eaten by the primary it, or, consumed or consumed in some, some way, way for the primary to emerge. But in the end, that outcome does not happen. And the fact that it doesn't happen is never explained. Yeah. Uh, the ending is not great. Yes. And we have the same problem with Staten Island. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that's, that makes that disappointing is that Jimison throughout the novel underscores how New Yorkers take Staten Island for granted. Mm-hmm. 
right? And she seems to show that that's not great. Right. That's that's bad to take this the one of the most working class areas of New York, mm-hmm. right? And that does have its own identity yeah. and is a part of New York mm-hmm. <laughs> and to just ignore it. And, and they do spend, there's a lot of the novel, and I don't know if you had this issue, which is I'm like, go to Staten Island, guys. Hey, hey, come on. Yeah, this was, like, I definitely had an issue with like, that because. Why are you waiting wh- on this? You should, you, you, you went really quick to find the other boroughs. Yeah, you... there was a question of why they never actually like they they only get to Staten Island what in the last like fifty pages of the book I think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's a problem the, and it's again the, Jimison writes the character with some empathy right. because the reason she turns to the woman in white is she feels lonely and scared right. and and shut off from the rest of the city mm-hmm. would have been cool <laughs> the other thing <laughs> kind of do some outreach I, I want to ask you as a as a resident of New York, so as someone who only former, former resident, resident of New York, but like as someone who is not a New Yorker, but like only sees this portrayed in film and so on and so forth, my impression of Staten Island was not so much that Staten Island didn't want to be part of New York, but rather that the rest of New York didn't think of Staten Island uh, as being part. It runs both ways. Of, okay, that's what I was. It runs curious both about. ways. All right. Yeah, it runs. It definitely runs both ways. In, in my understanding of it, mm-hmm. I feel like there's been a documentary made about this. Or maybe I've just, I like, I read some New Yorker Is it Pete Davidson's The King of Staten Island? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but my feeling, and they point out this, like, the tolls to go to Staten Island are really high yeah. as they are set by people in Staten Island, right. you know? And there is a pride to, to, to Staten Island that exists for all of New York. Right. Right? Yeah. And so, again, like, I just, I was like, the way you do in a horror movie when you're like, don't go up the stairs, like, run out of the house. I was kind of cheering the characters on. Come on, go to Staten Island. Like, you might be able to do something. And also, I want to say the other thing that feels empathetic and sincere about the way she she treats Island is that she wants better for herself. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. She wants to be free of the heritage that she's kind of been saddled with. Right. And right? she weirdly, I did she, I mean, I think the thing that I actually liked about it was that, she, you know, Island thinks of herself as an open, tolerant person. Yeah. Even though she's not. And that part was good. I liked that. That, like, th- that felt true and, and precise in a way that a lot of it didn't. I think part of the issue also is that I thought this was clever by Jemison, but, like, one of the ways that Jemison deals with the sort of growth of the tendril thing, I don't know how else to describe it, is it inhabits people who are already prone to behave in a yes. bad or bigoted way. Yeah, so, you, yeah. like, you see Wall Street types with it and cops and so on and so forth. That I got. That sort of made sense. And so, and, and I guess, let me put this way. If Island in the end had rejected them after a genuine effort, that would have been fine. I think I might have been yeah. okay with that. But there was no genuine effort. And so, therefore, I kind of felt like it was a cheap move in that way. Yeah. And I think even the lack of a genuine effort could have been an okay, res- like a, a, a something that was a statement right, yeah. rather than what feels like a mistake. Yes. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. That if they if she had more more vividly kind of shown that that the other boroughs were making a mistake in doing this, mm-hmm. right? Whereas I think it's kind of implied that they're making a mistake. Well, the one th- so but maybe this speaks to the characters, but like I, the better approach would have been to have sent Manny to Staten Island because of the five boroughs, yeah. Manny was the one who was actually. And by the way, like you asked me, or you know. You said that that Bronco was your favorite character. I think in the end, interestingly, Manny was, which is odd because we know the least about Manny. But the thing I liked about Manny as a character is 
it was cl- he's a capitalist dan <laughs> he's a political theory student that no, no, no. but uh, um <laughs> By the way, that is the weirdest part. Like, he actually shouldn't have been a political theory student. He should have been a capitalist. No, I, I, that was the part that, like... We, it is weird to be kind of just both. Yes, exactly. Um, but the, well, although, I... Go ahead. Well, no, the, the, I, the, I have things to say about Manny as The well. thing I liked about Manny was, is, is there's this duality to him of simultaneously mm-hmm. being able to be persuasive, but also being ruthless. And that does... Yeah. That is very New York-like. And so I would have liked to have seen him try to, to turn very island. capitalist, yes, too. exactly. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, she portrays him pretty um, explicitly as predatory capitalism. Yes, and right? and feeling like, like and I I did like that Manny is aware that he's got that in him, but is not comfortable with it. Yeah, that was actually good. That was complex, and I I, I wanted to see more of that, frankly. Yeah, she gives him a, a sketchy backstory. It is. I do want to know more about the former tough. I want to know the prequel. Becomes a political the theory student. Crest, Again, that's political the part that doesn't student. quite make any sense. Yes, <laughs> like the guy who knows how to beat up people. And also a political theory graduate. Oh, yeah. No, I'm curious. Anna, it's well I'm known within political science departments. <laughs> it's the political theories crowd that is always like the, they're, they're the rough. You don't do the ones who engage in rough trade. Your PhD yeah. is to like jump people, like <laughs> play the knockout game. If my friend Jacob Levy ever listens to this podcast, Jacob, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm having too much fun messing with political theory students. Yeah. I mean, just. To speak a little bit in general about the book, I think, mm-hmm. is just I, we both seem to have very similar reactions, which is that part of it is really fun. Mm-hmm. And everything that's about New York specifically yeah. is, I think, pretty well done. Mm-hmm. And I do think you probably appreciate that more if you've lived there. Mm-hmm. But the characters are engaging enough. And New York looms large enough in kind of, you know, the American imagination that I don't think you need to have lived in New York to appreciate it. As someone who did not live in New York, I mean, I visited right. a fair amount, obviously, but as someone yeah. who's not living in New York, I thought she actually handled that very well. Like, yeah. I got the different boroughs. I got the, that was well done. Like, I did not feel like I was excluded as a non-New Yorker reading this book. I think as someone who reads a lot of science fiction, though... Mm-hmm. And our audience obviously <laughs> might have might tend to have the same reaction, yeah. which is that it's such an intriguing premise. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to think of all the better ways <laughs> it might have been carried out. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> like, it, which is one of the fun parts of being a genre fiction fan, mm-hmm. by the way, is that you have the store of knowledge of all this other stuff that you're like, oh, you could have done that, you could have done that. Mm-hmm. And kind of one-upping your authors is, I think, part of the game <laughs> of being a fan. That's fair. Right? Okay, yeah. Yeah. But in this particular book, it was a little too present in my mind. I wasn't carried in away enough by her world building to not engage in my own world building. Right. So. Yeah. And also, by the way, there's a disturbing aspect of the world building, which is one of the things we learn is that when cities are born somehow, they annihilate other creatures. Yeah. Which, you know, I, first of all, I'm not sure what Jemison is trying to say by that. Because it seems like a very anti-urban argument. And to be honest, she doesn't really wrestle very much with the implications of that. I mean, in the end, basically... They sort of decide, well, we need to live. Right. Which so is, therefore, it's okay if other people die. Which is, in an IR <laughs> way... It's a very New York and a very <laughs> IR way of thinking about it. But, like, I, it was a... <sighs> it's a strange take on the multiverse. Yes. Yeah. Because most multiverse theories that we are, you know, exposed to in this genre there's not a lot of destroying of them except of course in loki there you go like where it, it's actually explained why and maybe the forthcoming doctor strange film 
Yes. There we yes, go. that's true. I'm so looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> I but I have to share. So I have a hard time remembering names uh-huh. sometimes. Yes. Like the way that I read, I just sort of look at the characters, right. meaning the characters of the letters, yeah. and recognize those later. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's some. There's probably some very minor weirdness about that. But I cannot, whenever I see Benedict Cumberbatch's name, I think Benedict Cumberbund. <laughs> like, it's just like, those are the letters that leap out at me. So, but I'm a fan. There you go. Benedict Cumberbund. Dan, you mentioned IR. I did. So, Dan. Yes, Anna. Is there IR in this book? Anna, I'm not sure I can come up with enough analogies to explain it since you barely understand how this universe works. <laughs> but yes, there is IR in this book. I think there's three aspects or sort of ways in which we can think of IR in this book. The best IR in this book is that alliances are hard. In international relations, if you see an external threat, one of the ways that that states can respond to that is to fashion or create alliances. Um, I think Americans in particular tend to take it for granted that things like NATO or the U.S.-Japan alliance or the U.S.-South Korea alliance, what have you, are very easy to create and maintain. Nope. Nope. The burrows in the novel bicker a lot, and guess what? So do allies within NATO and allies, you know, between the United States and others and other alliances that don't concern the United States. Indeed, one of the things that has happened as Russia has invaded Ukraine, one of the things that I think has surprised both Russia and even Western commentators is how well NATO has responded to it, which suggests that the expectation at the outset was NATO is going to, you know, be riven by internal divisions. And so therefore, it's unsurprising, and I thought the most realistic part of this novel, from an IR perspective, was Jemison's notion that the Burroughs were not immediately going to say, oh yeah, we have to this greater threat, we gotta band, you know, we gotta band together. No, they bicker and argue because they've all got their own interests, and that was entirely correct. And so this book is proof of what Secretary of State George Schultz, former Secretary of State George Schultz, used to refer to as the importance of gardening when dealing with allies, which is to say that when you're dealing with allies, you have to constantly tend to the soil to make sure that that like small frictions don't become more serious problems. And so that's important to this novel. So the second way in which the book uh, has IR in it is war as a continuation of, of politics. We learn through their BNY, Better New York Foundation, and TMW, Total Multiverse War Corporation, that the eldritch creatures have been laying the groundwork to kill cities preventatively for decades. And we see this in New Orleans with Katrina and Port-au-Prince with the 2011 earthquake. From the perspective of these creatures, it makes total sense and embodies Sun Tzu's dictum to subdue the enemy without fighting is the acme of skill. And so therefore, <laughs> again... You know, props to the creatures. They figured this shit out. And you could see why at the end of the novel, Relia, you know, basically looks down on humans because it's true. They're barely evolved. They barely figured this stuff out. There is potentially a third aspect of IR in this book, which is the idea that cities are independent actors in international relations. And as someone who has read or dipped occasionally into this literature, I'm going to say meh to that. I mean, it's true. There is an element to this, and I would highly recommend reading Saskia Sassen's work. Wow. What? Burn on the people that believe that cities can be players in international relations. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> Anna, I will tell you. Dan. Yeah, I know. I, I'm willing to throw down on this. I, part of the problem is, is that I have seen this trope recur in, you know, by advocates of, of foreign policy and international relations for decades. And I think the problem is, is that in the end, there is only so much cities can do as international actors. Cities are important economic entities. They can occasionally trailblaze. We've seen this a little bit with climate change. 
In the end, cities need states, though. There's just no way of getting around it. So, all right, Dan, I'll take your word for it. I won't go. I won't go reading that literature now. <laughs> I was going to, but now <laughs> I know. <laughs> won't be going further. Fair enough, <laughs> Anna. Dan, is there a critique of capitalism in this book? Dan, don't fucking bring your squamous eldritch bullshit here. <laughs> there is definitely a critique of capitalism in this book. <laughs> To a point. Ooh, okay. Yep, here we go. I feel like it's actually not terribly anti-capitalist. I think there's an acknowledgement in a pervasive but kind of casual way that unchecked capitalism is bad. I think it's anti-brand. Right. I will say that. I mean, there is a... You're, it's, it's, I, perhaps anti-consumer culture. Yeah. I think it's... No, I think it's anti... Correct me if I'm wrong. You're right. It's not even anti-consumer culture. It's anti-monopolistic culture. Homogenous. Right? I think what, it's it's whether the idea that capitalism produces homogenous culture. Like the idea that... Yes. That, you're, is that, yes, that would be the way yes. to put it. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. she's anti-Sabaro. Right. But and who anti-Starbucks. isn't anti-Sabaro <laughs> except for Michael Scott? There we go. <laughs> right? There's... So, yeah. I mean, I, I stand corrected, actually. It's not even really anti-capitalist. It's like anti, you know, homogeneity. Yeah. Um, anti... Mm, even to a certain extent, not even predatory capitalism, because Manny, a very sympathetic character, mm-hmm. is in fact like very explicitly a predatory capitalist. I think he's right? a reformed predatory capitalist. He's using his powers okay, of predatory reform. capitalism for the forces of good, Anna. And and in any case, he and Brooklyn are both very successful entrepreneurs. Yes, that's correct. Right, yeah. and both of them fight the woman in white using property. <laughs> I did like. Manny throwing the credit cards as a way of yeah, uh, yeah right yeah. and like in 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 Brooklyn has managed to buy these two brownstones right. and that's like her fortress mm-hmm. right yeah. and so there's it's a little bit of a yeah it's it's not anti capitalist it's in some ways acknowledging mm-hmm. and Dan I, I know you'd appreciate this that capitalism provides there we go paths forward for some oppressed people much like padmini why padmini is majoring in yes. finance rather than art than math just pure math although she doesn't like it that's true she's yes. like kind of yes <laughs> yes and on the other hand mm-hmm. the enemy <laughs> uses city bureaucracy and cops to crack down on our heroes good point uses the apparatus of the state yep. right mm-hmm. now both uh bureaucracy city bureaucracy in, in new york and, and the cops are institutionally racist mm-hmm. To be fair, but you know, I would say that many communities of color have what I would say is a earned distrust of the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, earned uh, libertarianism, perhaps. Fair enough. You know, in Texas, you see that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not, I mean, to be fair, I don't trust the Texas state places. either. So you know, like that's a yeah. yeah. That's true. Like in 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 general, you know, people of color have been fucked over by various state apparatus. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think it's interesting. I I suspect that Jimison herself is not terribly anti-capitalist. I think she's anti-institutional racism. Right. You know, uh, she sees white supremacy very clearly, and she's spoken about that. Mm-hmm. But also, she seems to be an extremely practical person yeah i actually think that's a good way of putting it yes. Yes. <laughs> one of the profiles i read of her is that you know she always wanted to be a science fiction writer but she realized that that was not going to be able a, to be a career that would necessarily support her mm-hmm. 
Um, so she became a uh, counseling psychologist. Oh, interesting. So, hmm. you know, like she went to graduate school at uh, University of Maryland, I believe. And only in 2016 did she quit her day Oh, job. wow. So she pulled her own Padmini, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wait, Dan. <laughs> it's like a tentacle they're slapping oh, no. against my mic. Get those tentacles out of here. field. <laughs> it's where we talk about things we didn't get a chance to talk about earlier, although we've talked about a lot. Yeah. Dan, what do you have? So I have to admit that the brand critique I kind of thought was sort of a glancing blow. It didn't quite like make any sense. And indeed, I think even one of the characters suggested, wait, really? They're going against Starbucks? Like they've been here for a while. Yeah. I did, however, love that the alt artiste drove a Hummer and a Tesla. That I found very amusing. So, like, that was fine. I had no yes. problem with that. There are some lovely moments of writing here. Um, I particularly like there's a moment where Bronca and Dr. White are encountering each other. And as she describes it, it's smile versus weaponized smile in the arena of professional fuck yous. Anna, I'm sure you've experienced this in academia. God knows <laughs> that hit home. So that was good. In journalism, I think it's also pretty common. Yes. Yeah. And then finally, I, I think... There was a small moment where the the four boroughs have finally gotten together and um, Veniza brings kettle corn out and Padmini finally says, ooh, kettle corn. And like, that was a nice little character beat moment. And I remember writing on the margins, I want more of this. There wasn't enough of that, you know, for some of the characters. I agree. And I'm actually even, it's even better mm-hmm. than that, which is that she brings in popcorn and Padmini goes, ooh, kettle yes. corn. Like she... It's this little, like, oh, it's not even just popcorn. Right. It's kettle exactly. corn. And as a kettle corn fan myself, yes. I, I can see how that would be extra exciting. Yeah. Oh, you didn't just bring me popcorn. You brought kettle You brought corn. me this. Yes. You brought kettle corn. Um, and in some ways, uh, ironically, or maybe this is what to expect in a book that has avatars of burrows, sometimes they're not humanized. Yeah. And that was right? the, the issue I had. Also, I, I, this sounds weird. I wanted more food. Like, there, this could have been a much. Oh, more... actually, now that you mention it, that's such a huge part of the right. Work. Like the, the, on that on that page, she she mentions kettle corn, and then they like to take out foe. And I was like, God damn it! Why isn't there more food in this novel? Because that is one there of the is, best it, things it, about it, New York. It, it is there occasionally, and there's the Brazilian ice cream, right. and uh, Sao Paulo also has Brazilian food at one point yeah. to revitalize himself. Right. Um, I had to look up what what the dish was. (laughs) But you're right. I mean, food is such an important part of of being a New Yorker and New York identity. It is is interesting. No one got a hot dog. There is no slice in this novel. No one ever yeah, gets no a piece slice. of slice. I mean, I was, I was sort of no vendor yeah. of any kind of street right. food. Nuts are my favorite. Like roasted nuts are kind of my my New York thing. Mm-hmm. This is it's such a cliche, but New York in the fall, when the air is really crisp and the sky is really blue, mm-hmm. and you walk in Midtown and there's that smell of roasting nuts, <laughs> is actually kind of perfect. Yeah. Like that's just a perfect moment. For me, it's always the soft pretzel. But I, I hear what you're saying. So, uh, what about you, Anna? my yes. things. Yes. We mentioned this before, but one of the fun parts of the book is the way the different boroughs summon their powers <laughs> by referencing various <laughs> borough centric things, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Brooklyn raps yes. is part of her power. Mm-hmm. Um, Manny uses money, right. which is fun. And, but 
Branca has a moment where she's fighting the white woman. And, and this is the passage, which I really loved. It's one of my favorite in the book. She's beating her up in some metaphorical way. Right. And she says, to drive this lesson home, I cut the bitch with LIR traffic, long, vicious, honking lines. And to stretch out its pain, I salt these wounds with the memory of a bus ride to LaGuardia and back. <laughs> and just to add insult to injury, I backhand its ass with Hoboken, <laughs> raining the drunk rage of 10,000 dude bros down on it like the hammer of God. Port Authority makes it honorary New York, motherfucker. You just got your <laughs> Love that. I also love, I think that, that happens early in the novel. Later on in the novel, when they're trying to race to Staten Island, if memory serves, they're being attacked by the, the woman in white's minions. And Bronca figures out that her she can channel the Bronx's power by cussing people out like a New York driver. That yeah, I, yeah, that yeah. I love. And then Brooklyn joins her. And that was a, that was a great little bonding moment. I really liked that. Yes. Yeah, there, when they occupy their powers is some of the best stuff. Yeah. Although the fight scenes are, it's weird. There's a difference. Like the, them summoning their powers is is a, a better scene than the actual fight scenes. Yeah, I yeah the fight like. scenes were sort of rote. Yeah. And I, and I guess I want to repeat that if you have lived in New York, I think you will especially appreciate this book. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you know New York pretty well, have had your experience in the various boroughs. I lived in Brooklyn and in Columbia Heights, mm. so a lot of this just rang really true for mm-hmm. me. In some ways, I think the other borough I know really well is Manhattan, and I there's part of me that feels like Manny is a great character, but doesn't quite capture all there is to love about Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But there's so much different. See, that's where we get into like, why isn't there a Wall Street? Yeah. Why isn't there a theater district? Yeah. Um, the whole book is written with a ton of affection. You can really feel that. Like, she clearly just loves the city. Yeah. Um, and I think that carries the book a fair amount. I agree. Um, yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's as you say, like, part of the issue is that, like, just one Manhattan is tricky. Although, on the other hand, I assume just one Brooklyn or just one Queens is also just as problematic. These are, yeah. these are complicated yeah. cities. So, in some ways... It, it, it would have been almost impossible for her. Actually, like they mentioned, you know, the thing from Red Hook. Red Hook is completely different from Greenpoint, right. which is different, completely different from Brooklyn Heights. Yeah, you know, I mean, but we're asking for more. But it is one of the ways that the book is good. Mm-hmm. It, it is that <laughs> this is ironically we can be disappointed. Yeah, with it. It, it's her conceit is so creative yes. and carried out in an interesting way. That the way the book disappoints you is you just wanted a little. It's a, I think we both wanted a little more. Yeah, this book had a lot of promise, is the way I would put it. And like, you're right that there were. I, I wanted to see the execution just a little bit better, but the idea is an interesting one, and you know that's why I wanted to see it. Like, or that's why I kept yeah. wanting to tweak it further. I guess. I confess I don't know if I'll read the second one. Hmm. Like I have to think about yeah. it. This did get really good reviews and. Like, I'm not sure. It wouldn't get a rave from me. Uh, I, I, I would recommend if anyone's, if, if people want to know, the, the Broken Earth trilogy is is very interesting. And I think in that case, she does what the promise of this mm. um, falls mm. on, which is that she gives you a very interesting world and just keeps building it out in this really thoughtful yeah. way. You know, like, it just keeps going and you keep on getting these the more detail and like more kind of twists on the premise there's no moment in broken earth trilogy where i'm like oh why didn't she do xyz <laughs> like, <laughs> like like she's thinking through all of yeah. it but that's about all i have to say about this book dan you i think we're done yeah 
Just to remind people, uh, our next text is Rogue One. Dan, you have a theory about the Star Wars trilogies. I, I, I do, but, which I'm not sure how Rogue One applies, but the, my theory is that the better the politics of the Star Wars trilogy, the worse the films are. <laughs> well, we shall see. Yes. Um, I've already seen it, but I've never looked at it through the lens that, that we yes. do. And then we have our Heinlein uh, cannon fodder episode, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, which I misspelled in the newsletter as The Mood <laughs> is a Harsh Mistress. <laughs> By the way, that is uh, which that is one last thing I yes. want to say about this novel. The, you know, the, the kids like to use this word. This is a vibes novel. Like, the, <laughs> it really is. Like, the thing that Jemison does very well is give off certain vibes about, and, and in some ways, more than character traits, we get vibes in terms of the different boroughs. That's the way I would put it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then after the moon is a harsh mistress, but, but the moods are harsh mistresses mm-hmm. as well. We have Gattaca, and then we have Hot Sci-Fi Summer. Yeah. Dan, mm-hmm. do you want to explain the premise of Hot Sci-Fi Summer? The premise of Hot saying? Sci-Fi Summer is that presumably, hopefully, the pandemic will be at a low point then, which means we can all get out <laughs> and have some fun and watch some sci-fi that, frankly, you know, has somewhat lower stakes would be the way to put it. And we'll yeah, have some fun. Yeah. Like, let me put it this way. I'm going to be lobbying hard for Highlander to be in this Hot Sci-Fi Summer. You got there it, we Dan. Go. I'll just say Thank right you. now. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. You know what? I'm going to actually gonna... right now just came yeah. to me. Repo Man. Yes. Very good. Very good. Okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. And, and we will take suggestions again. Maybe. The newsletter, which you can. I hate to say this. We, I don't know if we want to go there, but we could make all the hot sci-fi summer 1980s hot sci-fi summer. Oh. We might have to think about this. I'm not sure I want to go that far, but like we, we, we might want to ask the Discord. There's a lot yeah. there like some true classics yes. and some true some schlock. of them are semi-weighty yeah that's the problem that's like robocop is oh that, no that's not high sci-fi is, summer robocop robocop yeah that's a little more. too weighty yeah. right yeah, i agree yeah. yes yeah, yeah. okay and we have the spreadsheet for suggestions. Uh, the link to that is on our newsletter. If you want to subscribe to the newsletter, go to tinyletter.com slash face the nation. Patrons, you already know what to do. But if you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash space the nation. You get various things mm-hmm. with that. The Discord is probably the best benefit, yes. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really cool community that Dan's not a part of. <laughs> so. I'm an interloper. <laughs> Very cool community. Uh, I think we should just start to maybe explicitly keep you out, Dan. <gasps> no, <with that. laughs> no, no. Would you come around more I often? Will, my avatar will you, you make its presence. I promise that. <laughs> All right. Until next time, Dan. Keep this channel open for more. 